We raise an alarm and warn members of the church to wake up and understand what's going on. And over here, we're going to call this the You're devil's territory. Parents be alert. Ever watch this side of the line? This, this is the Lord's territory. Where would that be? Over there or over here? We yeah, teach a standard of moral conduct that now, will protect you turn your back. us from Satan and his enemies. And every time you, you must read understand the scriptures, you can take any persuasion, any relationship is not in harmony with our principles with God. Oh, welcome back to Infant Nursery Hour. You want someone to preach to you? With your host, Glenn Ostland. You want religion, do you? It's sharing time. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. Yeah, you can buy anything in this world. Uh-huh. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. This is another sharing time episode. And today what you're going to get is three clips that um, I'll introduce to you in a moment. And then we're doing a throwback to the very second episode of Infants on Thrones ever. It's called Guilt. And it was a panel discussion that was published on August 30th, 2012. This was one of Tom's babies. Um, and so Tom got a panel together that was me and Bob and Randy and Matt. Now, we've since talked about guilt a couple of times. We talked about it within the past year, I think, with Dr. Colton, whatever his last name is. Sorry, Colton Miller. Is it Colton Miller? I think it's Colton Miller. So we've talked about guilt since then. But this is going to be the first episode that we do uh, a live um, discussion over here on Patreon. So if you want to join us for this discussion, put it down in your calendar Wednesday, the 21st of August. Tom's going to be there. And who knows, maybe you'll be surprised by another infant or two joining us for the rediscussion, the meta discussion. And uh, we're going to do it at 10 p.m. Eastern. So if you're on uh, West Coast LA time, that's 7 p.m. 8 p.m. for Utah, 9 p.m. for people out there in no man's land in the Midwest. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to do that. Um, and I'll have the links here on Patreon. And so we're going to listen to that panel discussion. We're going to comment on it. And how do we think about this topic seven years later? And so to introduce it, I want to filter my view of this subject through three different clips. Um, some of these might be familiar to you. So the first one that you're going to hear is from Brene Brown, and it's pretty short. It's called Empathy versus Sympathy, and it introduces these ideas that I really struggled with the first time that I saw this. I still have mixed feelings about it, and I'll, I'll talk about those next Wednesday if they come up in the course of the discussion. If not, I can always sit down and do this anytime. That's the joy of me being the editor and the producer of these things. I can say what I want when I want, right? Well, anybody can. Anybody can. You just have to produce it. So, anyway, <laughs> here is here is Brene Brown on empathy and sympathy. And if you watch this on YouTube instead of listen to this here, you'll see that there's a little cute graphic that someone dis designed that went along with it. So that's kind of a, a nice way to watch it, but you can listen to it here.
So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. All right. So one of the things that I struggle with, <laughs> with the empathy versus sympathy, and I've always struggled with this, is how long do you wait? Because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not always a very pers- uh, patient person, both in, both in having empathy with myself and in having empathy with other people. Um, and I think maybe you're splitting hairs a little bit and getting a little too pedantic when you're making this fine distinction between empathy and sympathy. And you're saying empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection. I don't know. We'll, we'll debate that on the panel discussion and hopefully you'll join us. This next video kind of illustrates more how I am in these kinds of situations or how I have been. And it's funny. And this is another one that it's, it's better to watch it than to listen to it. It's called, it's not about the nail. And um, spoiler alert, I'll, I'll just let you know that the woman who's complaining about the pain that she feels, you know, at one point she turns and there's this big nail that's in her forehead. And her boyfriend, husband, buddy, whoever's looking at it is like, uh-huh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep listening to you, but you know there's a nail in your forehead. She's like, I don't want to hear that. Anyway, this, this, this is this clip. So let's listen to this, not about the nail. There's all this pressure 
you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail out. See, you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. That sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on! If you would just don't try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can? So, who do you relate to more in this? Do you relate more to the woman with the nail in her forehead that is saying? You just want to fix everything. I just need you to empathize with me. I just need you to listen. Or do you relate more to the guy who's watching going, I don't think that that is what you need. I think what you need is to get that nail out of your forehead. Is it all or nothing? Is it one or the other? Is there a balance between the two that needs to be struck? Those are the things I want to talk about when we have the panel discussion. And what does it have to do with guilt and shame? I mean, there's a connection here, right? Now, this third clip... Um, I've listened to it part way through. I haven't listened to all of it yet. Now, this third clip might be a little trickier for some of you (laughs) to get into because she talks about vibrations and getting in touch with your vibrations. And it's taken me a while to get comfortable with what that means and to go, okay, actually... That is kind of at a cellular level, atomic level, everywhere. You know, we are vibrations. We're made up of vibrations. Anyway, so she's talking about vibrations. And I'll tell you the, the background. This is someone named Abraham Hicks. Her name is actually Esther Hicks, I think. I don't know the full story on this. A, a friend of mine has introduced uh, me to Abraham Hicks within the last couple of months, and I've listened to a handful of these lectures. Most of them that I find on YouTube are little clips from different um, live seminars that she does. So it's kind of a Q&A where somebody comes up to the microphone and asks her a question, and she gives a response uh, to it. So that's what you're going to hear. And then the thing is, I mean, kind of like Krista the Psychic, that these are channeled answers. So um, Esther is the um, <laughs> the host, and Abraham is the the weeds. The it's the cosmic spirit that is talking through Esther. Now it's not it's not really as weird as that. You know, if if you want to think of this as window dressing, and the way that I do is it's just like it's this fictional game that's being played. Fine. That's how the, the information's being packaged. But if you pay attention to what's being said and apply that and ask, does this seem right or does this not seem right? And how does this 
impact the way that I think about guilt for myself, shame for myself, the way that I view others, my ability to empathize or sympathize or whatever you want to do with it. I think it's really interesting and I want to share it with you. So here's Abraham Hicks. Something more? Yes. So I love the feeling of being in the zone in sports and dominating in sports. That feels great. I love the feeling of watching my favorite sports team win a championship. Yes. Feels great. And I love, you know. Do you being... love their opponents that help them focus into the championship? Mm-hmm. I can see that that's helpful, but I, yeah, you want them to lose. Like, I'm a Flames fan, and I saw a guy walk in with an Oilers hat, and it's a hockey team. And we have these kind of things. Against. I don't want to get lost too much on that, though. Also, I like the feeling of being sexually aroused, so I like all of those things, these states. But what I don't like is the feeling of guilt and shame for loving hockey, even though it's somewhat barbaric as a sport to some people, or loving sexual experiences that some might like and some might not, or you know, music that some might like or some might not. And that's why I don't know why I care so much about that, uh, what other people think on that. But I, I want to be able to release that guilt and shame. And what I thought is the best way to do that is to rev up my feeling of powerfulness. And then that can just kind of go away on its own as opposed to trying to think my way through every topic. Well, there is something to focusing upon what you desire enough that there's strong momentum. Because your desire, especially when it's a very strong desire, a strong desire that you focus upon often will dominate and it will carry but we want to talk about this business of guilt and shame we want to talk about you caring about what other people think we want you to reintroduce yourself to your own guidance system where in connection with that you will never feel guilt or shame you will only feel empowerment and enthusiasm and love and appreciation and so what is this business of caring about how you're being responded to we touched on it earlier but it's about trying to deal with it in terms of words or behavior rather than getting a good vibrational footing at the start of it you've got to get out ahead of it emotionally you've got to get out ahead of it vibrationally because if it's vibrationally out of balance then what you will attract is more evidence of the vibrational imbalance so let's say you're standing in your now and you're feeling pretty good lots of people in the room you were discovered in a large group vibrationally by the energy that is exuding from you the power of your desire in relationship to your resistance was really in good enough balance that you lighted up in a way that we were able to pick you easily from a large crowd this is all really good news and as we've been visiting here you've come into some clarity you've helped a lot of other people come into some clarity and you're feeling pretty good right now in this moment so let's say that it's mostly true <laughs> so here you are in this moment feeling good feeling good and then a subject comes up to which you've had some concern and you turn your attention to it and you relitigate it you from your now position try to go back and change something that you've lived before and in doing so you take on the personality of those that you perceive are judging you 
and you do the same thing to yourself so you relitigate the experience and you come to the conclusion that no matter what it was and for whatever reason that you were wrong in having that experience but you're doing it in your now you can't go back and relive it and you can't go back and change it but in your now you can control the way you feel so we just have a very straightforward question that we want to put to you if your work is to do your best to get into the receptive mode if your work is to do your best to feel about yourself as your inner being feels if your work is to do your best to feel as good as you can feel in this moment is there any value in going back to a time and retrying your case and finding yourself faulty and applying guilt upon yourself is there any value in doing that now so you're not doing it on purpose is that what you're telling us well, I guess not... the only value would be if if I thought that I could release that from the past to be feeling better now you did release it from the past because when the past was the past it was released but this is the present and you've dragged something from the past that you don't want into the present it's not about releasing the past it's about focusing in the present it's about in the present aligning with who you are mm -hmm. Esther had an experience where something happened and some people were unhappy with her and now she's living the ramifications of their unhappiness and for just a moment she was saying things like I should have just done such and such and then that led to a little bit to a and before that I should have done that so she's going back before the momentum before the momentum when the momentum was very small if I just done something differently then and then then and then then and then then and then then and once she sort of came out of it after a good night's sleep we spoke to her with such clarity that she told others, Abraham yelled at me this morning. <laughs> and what we said to Esther is, line up with what you know to be the truth of this situation. Line up with it as you mean for it to be. Don't water yourself down by trying to see someone else's point of view that you can never see stand in your knowing of what you know and line up with what you know to be now what we really mean by that is stand up with the goodness that your inner being knows that you are stand up with the clarity that your inner being knows that you are stand with that knowing of who you are and do not allow yourself to take on any garbage that anybody else from their inferior feeling insignificant vulnerable feeling selves that have been shining on you don't take that stuff on many of them mean well some of them don't but most of them mean well but whatever most of them are not practiced in what they're thinking if everyone around you was really good at paying attention to what they're thinking about you would feel so good about yourselves every one of you would if every one of you were surrounded by others who were tuned in tapped in turned on who were in love with life and in love with you you would feel so radiant and so beautiful and so wonderful about yourself because you'd be getting it from them but you're looking for love in all the wrong places don't look at it from them they're not practiced and they're not good at it and they don't care about you the way you think that they should it's not their job to love you into alignment they're not going to do it and when you're looking for others approval to love you into alignment you're going to come up short every single time but when you're feeling for the thought about them or about yourself or about anything that is in concert with the way your inner being feels about it 
so that you are now in alignment with who you really are now as you stand in your now sure there's all kinds of stuff you've lived that maybe if you were living it again now you'd live it differently but so what so what so what none of that makes any difference you can't get it wrong and you'll never get it done and the reason you can't get it wrong is because it's never done you're always standing in a new and powerful now and your inner being is always adoring you and knowing what you want and what the path of least resistance is for you to get from where you are to where you want to be your empowerment is a self-assigned experience and you find it one good feeling thought at a time one good feeling thought at a time one good feeling thought at a time and you will never get to who you are and to who you mean to be by regretting anything that you've ever experienced you can't even remember what the particulars were of the incident when it came up you don't even know what the energy dynamics of it were you cannot from your now even remember what the momentum factors of energy moving were about you've got to let the past go you've got to let it be what it was for what it was for was to fill your vortex full of who you really are and now your purpose is singular line up with who you really are you see and when you do you will discover the passion that the source within you has for all sorts of things that you have been assigning as inappropriate because you've been guided by so many others who don't want you to follow your own passion they want you to follow their path they want you to be a slave to what they want sometimes they mean it and sometimes they don't even know what they mean but most people are very sloppy in their thinking and you cannot be if you want to live happily ever after you've got to think with precision by caring about how you feel and then it doesn't take long before the momentum of your thoughts carries you into predominantly good feeling moment after good feeling moment after good feeling moment after good feeling moment it's the way it is supposed to be for you it's who you are it's what's in your vortex it's what your inner being is guiding you to just be playful about it do you feel like you could more easily let your past go now than maybe before mm. And do you feel less likely to try to make your past part of your present? And are there things in your past that you want to remember? Of course there are, but forget them anyway. <laughs> because the habit of going back is sort of treacherous territory. Don't go back. Be more present in your now and watch what happens. Last. Last night I watched on Discovery Channel a show about lions, so the beasts, and feel myself when I watch something like that, that they just do and be what they are. And so then this releasing the beast that has become kind of the theme now, like that's the feeling I have is I want to just do that and be okay with it for myself. So what you shared really helps that, so thank you. And my back doesn't hurt. And then on the other channel, there was that program about the guilty lion. <laughs> He just laid over there under a big old tree and regretted everybody had eaten. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. And now what we're really all here for is the Infants on Thrones panel discussion from seven years ago. Once again, this is Tom and Randy and Bob and Matt and me. And Tom put together this episode. I remember just absolutely loving it. And um, 
here you go. We're going to listen to it. And then I just want to remind you that we're going to be uh, having a live discussion about this on Patreon on Wednesday, September 21st at 10 p.m. Eastern. So I hope to see you there and to hear you contribute to this. It is uh, our discussion on guilt. Here you go. Okay, on three, we'll do five. (laughs) Okay, ready? Five. 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 Four. Four. Three. Three. Two. Two. One. 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 (laughs) That sucks. (laughs) This is Infants on Thrones. Hey, welcome to the Infants on Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Tom Perry, and this particular podcast is on guilt. We had a panel discussion including myself, Bob, Randy, Glenn, and Matt. And in this episode, you'll be enjoying clips such as... I think the reason why Tom doesn't feel guilt anymore about not doing home teaching is he's changed, he's shifted his moral outlook or code uh, to not include home teaching as something that he should feel bad about. The church isn't structured that way. It's, it's, in fact, it's structured exactly the opposite way. It is trying to minimize the Tom Perrys of the world. It wants less of you, not more than you. And, <laughs> and you're just not letting them have it. I have seen stuff that if a soul exists has damaged my soul uh, to, <laughs> to never be recovered. And I still believe that by and large, uh, people are good generally really ridiculous rules like no shorts on p-day and and sit down to pee kind of rules on my mission so i (laughs) (laughs) I mean because in guilt the sense is that it's an internal voice of criticism it's the voice of conscience so why don't we go ahead and get started in this discussion that you're about to hear i've broken up highlights of the discussion in the hopes that it's going to be a little more entertaining a little more engaging for you the listener So you'll have to let me know on the website, uh, in the comments section of this podcast, if you feel like this works, if this format works, or the style works. Um, This is kind of an experimental thing, but I thought it would be an interesting format to try on you guys, and so you'll have to let me know if it works. So, uh, enjoy. So Tom, here's here's what I want to know. If, if I can ask this question, because we're just starting this this podcast with all of us getting on. And, you know, we recorded one episode before this where we said we're we're going to be really entertaining and fun. We're still going to be entertaining. And so, like, for your very first podcast, you want to talk about guilt. And I, I just want to know why. Like, what's what's the inspiration for you personally, there's really, there's really the first no, thing you want to tackle. I just wanted to get a panel together and talk about something that had been on my mind currently. I mean, in fact, this is what really sparked. You want to really get into the psyche of Tom? Here we go. I just want to hear uh, the story. Tom is feeling very guilty right now. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I've been bombarded recently about getting my home teaching numbers up, and <laughs> I've been I've been slacking like this. And there's this new guy that's that's a real gung ho guy in the hike and the uh, high priest and he's been calling and emailing me pretty good and and i've noticed one thing i don't feel guilty for not going anymore and so that really is what sparked i was like well i want to talk about guilt because obviously i've made a shift um because it wasn't that long ago it wasn't that long ago when i would get that email or i'd get that phone call and i'd be like oh crap yeah you know what i do need to get out and do it 
but I don't feel that anymore. So I wanted so to talk that, about. Wow, well, I haven't done home teaching in years. In fact, uh, I have a standing I have a standing agreement with uh, uh, our elders quorum president that I I there's two of my friends who are technically my families, and one of my friends is my home teacher. And I said I, the only the only um, caveat I have is. You don't ask me about numbers. You don't ask them about numbers. Just assume it's done. And he said, done. So it, it works out pretty well. Huh. Well, Tom, you feel uh, guilt for that? Tyson feels zero <laughs> guilt, actually. And, you know, and well, that, the, that does bring up an interesting point. What Tom said is, uh, you know, some of the th- reasons why we feel guilty are the activities uh, or behaviors that we're should or should not feel guilty over and like home teaching for example which is just a an institutional construct should we really feel guilty uh, should that cause anybody guilt and would that type of guilt be be uh, healthy versus uh, you know yelling at your kid uh, where you might feel guilty or feel remorseful from i think that the 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 example is kind of an interesting one when i was going through my faith crisis i actually came across a, a study that was done and it was trying to find out who are the happiest people. And what the study found uh, was that people who whose behavior aligns best with their moral code uh, are the happiest people. And so to me, remor- I'm going to make an even further distinction between remorse and guilt. Uh, remorse is, is has something that pertains to more universal truths. So if you look at all the major religions, they all have certain overlaps that Basically, all humans have, uh, you know, don't kill, uh, don't cheat, uh, don't abuse, you know, the, all, all the like obvious moral Except truths. Except when God tells you. That- wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean like when God commanded Nephi to kill Laban? What is this thing you ask of me? Is not the word of God written, thou shalt not kill? Behold, the Lord slayeth the wicked. To bring forth his righteous purposes. It is better that one man should perish than that a nation should dwindle and perish in unbelief. Slay him, Nephi. No. I command thee in the name of the Lord God. Slay him. Well, that's no, 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 that that goes under the guilt. Okay, so and then you have uh, all these all the things that differentiate all the major religions, like all their different codified things that aren't universal that you don't see in each religion. Home teaching being one of them. And so, if you um, feel remorse, I think I think right. I think. I think the reason why Tom doesn't feel guilt anymore about not doing home teaching is he's changed, he's shifted his moral outlook or code uh, to not include home teaching as something that he should feel bad about. But I think Tom would feel remorse if he beat his wife, because uh, that goes into more of a universal. So I think if if you are violating kind of a universal, obvious uh, moral truth, uh, you'll feel remorse. I think that, that's what separates psychopaths from normal people. Uh, even though you call me a psychopath, I'm the furthest thing from it. But anyway, uh, that was a joke. But, but, but I think I think Matt hit it on the head when you 
are violating uh, like a arbitrary construct, like home teaching or going to the temple, then you feel guilt. I think there, there's an important distinction there. I mean, does that make sense to anybody? I like it. I, I don't know yeah. if the rest of the world adopts that way of thinking. That's that's kind of how I you articulated it pretty well. That's how I sort of grew up. But I I wonder if outside of religion, if that's the status quo or if the two words are just conflated all the time. Is there a non-baggage term for guilt or shame? Like, Let me interrupt Bob real quick because I think he asks a very important question right there. I want to play a clip from the BBC radio podcast entitled In Our Time Philosophy. And you can access this podcast at bbc.co.uk slash podcasts slash series slash IOTP for In Our Time Philosophy. The BBC Radio has many wonderful podcasts and radio subscriptions that you can listen to. But this particular clip that I'll be pulling from is from a podcast that was published back in 2007 entitled Guilt. And philosopher Stephen Muhal will be speaking in this clip, and he'll be talking about shame and how it is connected and related to guilt. Shame, in effect, has to do with the notion of saving face or losing face. So that already gives you a sense that it's concerned with appearance. It's concerned with the way in which you look in the gaze of other people. Sometimes it's to do with some behavior you've performed. Sometimes it might have to do with your appearance, how you're dressed, how you look. But of course, the most basic example, I suppose, is feeling ashamed if you're caught naked. So it may just be the simple fact that you have a body, in effect. And what makes shame distinctive is, in part, the ways in which it drives us to act. If one feels ashamed, what is one instinctively inclined to do? And I think the immediate answer to that question is to hide, to remove yourself from the gaze of others, ideally to disappear altogether. You want the floor to open up and swallow you, in effect. So the implication would seem to be that a way to avoid feeling shame would be to do the shameful deed in private. And if you manage to pull that off, then you shouldn't feel that response, that sense of doing anything wrong. And if we have that kind of conception of shame in place initially, then guilt becomes much more clearer in contrast with it. Because you're not going to escape feelings of guilt simply by hiding yourself away in a corner away from some other people's gaze, the critical voice, the voice that tells you you're doing something wrong, is going to come with you into that private place. And that's because in guilt, the sense is that it's an internal voice of criticism. It's the voice of conscience, I suppose, in a familiar way of picturing the whole idea. And what that means, in effect, is that you're engaged in a process of self-criticism when you experience guilt. You're saying that there's a certain kind of ideal that you've internalized, you're measuring yourself against, and you're failing to measure up properly to that standard. So we get a picture of the self as being sort of split between what it thinks it ought to be and what it actually is, and the aspiration is, ideally, for those two parts of the self to come back together, to synthesize, so there's no gap between what the voice of conscience wants you to do and what you're actually doing. And that means, in effect, also that you've got a notion there of autonomy. You've got a notion of the individual subjecting himself to his own kind of criticism. And that contrasts quite sharply with shame, at least on the surface, because shame tends to focus you on the gaze of other people, and it suggests that you're responding to their sense of what's right and wrong. And it suggests that the individual is being subordinated to the social group as a whole.
feel like guilt is that and, term is more of a religious thing. Is that what you're saying, Bob? I, I'm just saying it has a lot of baggage, and I think it's it's correlated with religion quite a bit. And I guess not that there's anything wrong with that. I I just feel like it's a it's a negative thing. People try to avoid it, whereas if you talk about remorse, it seems like that's a very natural state of being that everybody. Um, should expect to experience on and off throughout their life. Whereas guilt, if you just got rid of it, at least the way I grew up understanding guilt, I would just love to never see it again. Whereas remorse, I understand there's a place for it in my life. Does that make sense? It's sort of. I mean, I guess I guess I'm just I just view it this a different way. I see guilt as maybe more of a remorse thing, and I don't have a problem calling, you know, even in a secular version guilt you know like if you if you uh crash into a car you feel guilty for not paying attention or something like that build our our morals from and i mentioned this in the beginning and and building off of what randy said because if if you are in a religious institution or in a religious belief system there will be times especially depending on where you fall in as far as the belief spectrum if you're going to become a very literal believer or a very strong believer you're going to adapt certain aspects of said religious institutions guidelines or morals and you're going to institute them to your core and so then you're going to start to feel guilty for things that maybe normally you wouldn't have and a lot of a lot of times those guidelines are really inappropriate and can be destructive. Like, like for example, the uh, like the homosexual issue, where homosexuals are innately evil. I mean, that's that's a very destructive, at least in my opinion. I well, think it's a very destructive thing. Oh, so but the more uh, I guess pedantic or the more numerous the uh, the rules, the more potential for guilt. Like, like for example, uh, with with Mormonism, I wonder how many people out there. Uh, feel guilty for um, not writing in their journal or not having a garden or not having a full year supply and how tragic that is. See, but this this raises a question that I've been debating in my mind as, as to how much we we weight different commandments, you know, because you're, you're like commanded to be perfect in all things, right? And there's all these task lists of things that we have to do. But then at the same time, there's like the top three sins, you know, the like murdering, denying the Holy Ghost, committing adultery. So there's there's like more weight on those things than there is on like journal writing or, you know, these really stupid things. Like on my mission, the mission president made it a rule that we had to shine our shoes every day. We had to eat wheat cereal, this moogie every day, you know, and he would make a point of saying, if you don't do those things, then you won't have the spirit to be with you. But I didn't believe him. Well, let's so go to something. You didn't. No. You didn't. No. How many people did that were OCD, you know, that had to obey every rule well, or felt they had those to Those were the ones happy. that fucked like a chicken all the way home. Because I, I, right. I had some pretty, really ridiculous rules like no shorts on P day and, and sit down to pee kind of rules on my mission. So I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That way you didn't touch yourself too much. I love it. <laughs> Like a non-priest-holding woman? But did you believe those rules, Tom? I mean, like, did, it wasn't you, did a, you feel it wasn't like a matter if you violated of, them, you really wouldn't it, have the spirit with it you? It wasn't a matter of believing the rules. And, and obviously, we, we have this in our, our list to get to. It's, it's obeying the Lord's servants. If you believe that your mission president is inspired and guided by God, and he he's in that position because he was... You know, there's a reason for him to be there, and he's he's actually getting inspiration, revelation, uh, d- 
you know, personal direction for you as a missionary. And if even if he comes up with a silly rule like sitting down to pee, you're going to freaking do it. I mean, only if only if you feel like that he really is, in, you know, guided by inspiration, because it's it's always that domino effect. If you don't start to obey one rule, then you don't start obeying another and another. Right. And, another. and the next thing you know, yeah, you're you're sleeping with girls or animals or whatever. <laughs> wow. Let me, well, let that's, me, that's, a, that's a slippery slope. <laughs> let, me give you, yes. let me give you an example of that. I, th- I do think it's the small things matter for a lot of people. And maybe yeah. journal writing is a bad example, but but uh, take the word of wisdom or, or attending the t- what, whatever. The, the example that I heard on my mission was, and I thought it was so freaking profound. It was, you know, when you're fasting, even a spoonful of water is inappropriate. And I said, oh, wow, that's so that's so profound. It's the little things, man. And so you can attribute that to, you know, if I don't uh, wear my church or eat my Kashi cereal, like my mission president says, that that really is just as inappropriate as the as the major things. But there's but there's a subconscious loophole that Glenn alluded to, and that's that there is this master set of things you have to abide by in order to be a good Mormon and to be fully fellowshipped and have full membership and go to the temple when you're older and and participate in, in the things that, that you do as a Mormon that are beyond just the anybody's welcome, come to church sort of stuff. And, and the subconscious loophole is the fact that we all know we're not perfect and we all know we're progressing in this life. And so at least when I was growing up and on my mission, some of those stupid rules I would break all the time, not because I was like a chronic rule breaker, but because I was keeping the big ones and I was doing what I thought was the best uh, path for the best missionary work, I guess. But did you recognize at the time, Bob, that these rules weren't really connected? You know, because we've got that scripture in the DNC that said every what what is it that every blessing is connected to some kind of a commandment, you know, and if you do the commandment, then God's bound. And so people take that to these ridiculous extremes. I, the Lord, am bound. If you do what I say, if you do not what I say, you have no promise. It's one right. of the few I still remember, which probably speaks to my guilt issues, right? right. Yeah, but but like, didn't didn't you cognitively realize that some of those things were so mundane that they couldn't possibly be related to some kind of a heavenly blessing? Why, yes, why no. We... Like, I I I don't think that I thought it through to that logical conclusion of like, this is total bull crap. I just more thought of like, you know, I see that there's some good intentions here, but if, if I pass on this or if I, if I get out the door at nine 35 instead of nine 30, uh, it's not the end of the world as compared to like sleeping with that woman over there, you know, like there's just degrees and, or animal. Don't forget Tom. Oh yeah. Right. Of course. Cause that's what comes next. Yeah. <laughs> there's just, there's just degrees of, uh, of sin or violation or breaking the code. And we all know we're imperfect and we know that every day we're going to make mistakes and that's drilled into us. And it's kind of this weird catch 22 of like, like you said, OCD people really have it tough because they'll never get it right. See, but I, the, and I, I think this goes to what Randy was saying earlier about the your, your your actions aligning with your morals. And if you, if you realize that those morals aren't really, what did you call them, Randy? Like universal Morals. There's universal morals, and then there's uh, the kind of arbitrary constructs that yeah. uh, each e- they're idiosyncratic per world religion. You know, like don't eat pigs or permission. Uh, really, I mean, or culture, yeah, yeah, or culture, well, yeah. But so, Glenn, yeah. but Glenn, to, to your point, when you said that these even these little mundane things, I mean, it's in the scriptures. I mean, I uh, I think it was Randy that put in here that. Whether it be by my own voice or the voice of my servants, it's the same. And that's how I felt. Like if 
the mission president was going to even give uh, a rule like something that I even felt like it was silly, it may reduce my amount of guilt or shame I was going to feel if I violated. But I still felt I still felt a little bit of guilt if I didn't obey it. Okay, so then was guilt really a behavior inhibitor? Did it really control what you did, or was it just there nagging at you? What's the difference? Well, the difference is you, you obedience, like how you're acting. It, well, it, if it's if it it's affected, nagging at it, it affected our it affects your well being. Yeah, <laughs> you because uh, a bunch of little things add up. Because uh, I yeah, because you know, guys I like Glenn, Glenn were you know you you had a sensibility that I didn't have, and maybe Tom didn't have on our mission. You know, we, we took this stuff really seriously. And, and uh, you know, it, you, you have one major sin. Yeah, that makes you feel like crap. But, you know, 5,000 mini sins add up. You know, this is this is to the point, Glenn, is there's no there was things that I wouldn't have normally even considered or even thought about. Wouldn't even pass my my realm of thinking at all, like sitting down to pee. I mean, that, why would that even be something I would even consider? But is that rea- it, was that really a mission rule? Yes, it really was. Oh my god, that's the greatest rule ever! I thought you were being <laughs> bad. hyperbolic. No, 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 no. no. That's what was the vacation? Did you back, just say what, hyperbolic? What what yeah. kind of uh, what kind I of did. blessing did you get from that? Is, what what was the <laughs> basis for that being a rule? He he, he said. <laughs> He called. He called it. He called it a suggestion. And do you really want to go down this road? Because <laughs> I was, started it, man. I, I was going to save. I was going to save this stuff for the mission ones, but whatever. <laughs> but okay, I'll save it. Let Let me just go down this. Oh road. come on, Tom! Don't don't be such a tease. Oh my gosh! All right. So this this was the reasoning behind it. The mission president. This happened in my last. Well, I don't know half, maybe a quarter of my mission. That the mission. Mission president and his wife come out with this certain rules to do, and they were they called them more of a suggestions but guidelines, and that was on the list. There was uh, <laughs> you can't wear shorts at all, including P day. Um, there was all kinds oh, of stuff. P day playing basketball in jeans. What you played basketball? Yeah, in pants? sweat sweatpants. Yeah. <laughs> but, so wait, but you're this... saying that you had one day a week where you actually could sit down on the toilet and pee? No, you couldn't. You. <laughs> Or the only could, time, the I'm, only just, co- I'm just making a joke about the only time, the only time, and this because it, it caused an uproar. There's a lot of missionaries that said, "Wait, wait, so can we, yeah. <laughs> can we, can we, can we stand to pee in our own apartment?" Because the, the <laughs> what it was is the mission president's wife said that it just caused too much of a disruption or a noise because there were some complaints, I guess, of. <laughs> <laughs> members' homes, the, the missionaries would go in the back room, and I don't Have know if it was fights. like, or maybe they were, or they were <laughs> splashing. <laughs> They're crossing the streams like <laughs> a Ghostbusters. Yeah. All, right, all right, all right, all right. But uh, but time out here. This is this is what always got me on my mission. I never understood this whole like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die of guilt because I didn't read my scriptures today, and then like dick slapping your companion is like no big deal. <laughs> no, it would no, it was just the urinal streams were crossing. That's all. <laughs> Whatever it, it, it was, as far I as I know, I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't it get like been. the potty humor pass. Like you could be the biggest douchebag when it came to like potty humor and slapping your junk around. <laughs> but as long as you're reading your scriptures, man, you are the holiest of holies. Uh, yeah, but that that lends, <laughs> that is uh, that lends itself to kind of a Mormon mentality, which is you, the the. The little things are just as big as the big things. So if you're keeping the little things, you feel justified uh, or, or at least uh, not as guilty uh, if 
with the big things. I really think that that's a problem in in uh, Mormonism. A lot of times when there's all these crazy rules that get built up in your mind, like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, sometimes you do get lost and you, and because you start to feel guilt for one thing. And whether that's a, a lot of guilt or a little bit of guilt, depending on what the rule or the guideline is, yeah, you could. I think you can get lost and sometimes it, you just numb out. Like depending on <laughs> the kinds of rules that you're you're really facing, you can really get yourself lost and uh, start to feel like everything's getting blurred. I did want to come back to uh, this idea of guilt and constantly being just buried um, in you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And that kind of goes along with those the small things being emphasized. But it's really fundamentally you're told you are flawed. In, 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 in the Book of Mormon, you're even told you are an enemy to God and that you are necessarily fallen and bad and, and basically designed to do wrong. And I think that mentality is is really effed out. I think, but I think we might be overstating it a bit here, be, because you also have the belief that every week, if you take the sacrament, you eat the bread, you drink the water, you're clean. Wait, but that's you're, only sort clean. of true. That's only sort of true, Glenn. Because how do you juxtapose that weekly free get out of get out of jail free card with like the guilt of the death deathbed repentance sort of doctrine, where it's not just for your deathbed, but in Mormonism. If you ever do something because you know that you can get out of the consequences of it later by doing exactly what Glenn said, oh, later on on Sunday, I'll just wipe this slate clean. It wasn't that big of a sin, and I feel bad, and I'm done, and then you can get into this pattern. you know. Well, and then, and then Bob, you add the, the scripture, uh, if you repent uh, of something, and then you do it again, all the sins from the past come back added yeah. onto you. Yeah. yeah. I have that out. <laughs> DNC 82.7. The Lord will not lay any sin to your charge. Go your ways and sin no more. But unto that, that soul who sinneth shall the former sins return, saith the Lord your God. Yeah. Right. And, and there's pretty... even, there are even some bishops who take that literally. And if you if you have a sexual sin, or it doesn't even have to be sexual, but that's the easiest example, and, and you feel bad about it, when you go into that, they, they'll have you recount every previous sexual sin you've you've done like is this the first time give me the history go a few years back you can't you can't just deal with it in isolation because the church is obsessed with layering on that that previous guilt and building it up so that you realize that you can't just use this get out of jail free card so then it's just like this really weird psychological problem because how do you repent of something when it gets harder perpetually but you're always going to do it so yeah i, I don't is this the exception, though, or is this the rule? I think it's the rule, dude. It was for me. I so it must kind be of the rule for everyone. My mind. I just I, like I think about people in my ward, and just I don't know. I they don't seem. It doesn't seem like I'm surrounded by a bunch of guilt-ridden people. But internally, they are torn apart. I think. I, I really believe that. Well, well, yeah, I would. I would agree with Matt. How do you explain the whole uh, Utah having the highest depression rates, suicide rates, medication rates? How do you explain all that then, Gwen? Uh, I was just there, and it's a dump. Wait, oh, wait. On. I'm not asking. I'm not asking about the fires. Weak, weak, man. And, ex- and excuse me, but I take great offense to that jackass. Oh, it was just. I was. I was just there for ten days, and man. And you were ready to get a anti-anxiety depression med. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you, got, you got this like bastion of snow skiing, camping, rock climbing. It is like uh, a depressed person's haven. 
Okay, <laughs> true. You can't tell me just, really? just because you didn't have a good time. That's your argument. You got Randy. I was just Utah joking. Utah is a beautiful place. I mean, I, I, there, there's a lot of reasons why I miss living in Utah. Okay, fine. Uh, but, that was his point, dude. But USC sucks. <laughs> Randy's, <laughs> Randy's now my favorite atheist all of a sudden. <laughs> no, but the idea of enduring to the end, forsaking sin, you know, that, that whole thing that is constantly reinforced, I think undercuts the positive idea of, oh, you can be clean, though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as wool, except they become scarlet again the next time you uh, touch yourself or, or stand up to pee. <laughs> What really bugs me about this, I mean, we could we could actually spend uh, an entire podcast on just the chastity mess because what's really destructive about it is, I mean, there's so many levels and there's so many things. I mean, going from what whatever petting is to whatever third base is to whatever you know touchy feelies to French kissing. I mean, where does all this fit in? And then of course the bishop's got to interpret that to whatever level of forgiveness he's going to institute or whatever probationary period yeah, normally probation. you have to undo what you did for like six months or longer depending on yeah, what and, it was you did and, and then well, and here's and a the mission re- story my we had a counselor in the in the mission presidency who would do personal interviews and he considered um wet dreams i shit you not as um essentially violating the law of chastity i got yeah, that too man he, that's that's not isolated i think that's, that's common i think that's common Oh, wow. I, my, my mission president, to his credit, when he learned about it, um, stopped that and told the boys, basically, relax. It's called biology. So, I mean, <laughs> wow, and lucky, that's absolutely that's true. Awesome. Yeah. No, we had a great I had a great mission president. Well, who, who's the general authority? Is it Packard that said that you got to tie your hands to the bedposts when you sleep or something like that? Does anybody remember that? That sounds like Marky Peterson. Yeah, Marky Peterson, Peterson. Yeah. I'm not allowed to talk about that. Let me jump in here if I can on on the especially child sexual abuse. There's a there's a really important um, concept that that people need to understand is the defenders of abuse are, are they all use the same techniques to one degree or another, and the most uh, significant one is referred to as shared responsibility, meaning that their victims they get their victims through grooming and through um, the, the the processes that they use to feel that they are a part of the abuse. So if they don't, they don't look at it as a bad touch. There's no such thing, you know, kids don't, don't conceive of good touch, bad touch because these offenders are using good touches and the child is willing and the child is sometimes interested and it feels good. And when they use those techniques, then a child gets these um, lessons. They're absolutely not going to be able to understand that they were a victim. They're going to see that is going to basically put the shared responsibility on steroids. The, the result is they don't disclose abuse. And I think that's one of the primary reasons why abuse is as rampant as, as it is in the Mormon church. And it is pretty rampant, by the way, compared to other religions. Can I give a quote for the miracle of forgiveness? Please go for it. Okay. This is Spencer W. Kimball, uh, president of the church of my childhood. Uh, he said, and also uh, modeled, uh, Yoda was modeled after him, apparently. Anyway. <laughs> it's true. Also far-reaching is the effect of loss of chastity. Once given or taken or stolen, it can never be regained. Even in a forced contact such as rape or incest, the injured one is greatly outraged. 
If she has not cooperated and contributed to the foul deed, she is, of course, in a more favorable. Of course, it's she. She is, of course, in a more favorable position. There is no condemnation when there is no voluntary participation. It is better to die in defending one's virtue than to live having lost it without a struggle. In other oh. words, you're to teach your daughters, or you know, basically, it's he's talking about daughters. You're to teach your daughters that if somebody forces themselves upon you, instead of going into survival mode, you should fight with all of your might. And it's better that you get killed in the struggle than to be raped. Yeah, that, I don't. That chilled my blood when I was forced to read that for masturbation on my mission. That, even as a believer, that chilled my blood. And now it is like utterly reprehensible. That, that to me shows how these. That particular man and, and most of these men are are just not inspired. They have no insight whatsoever because he he assumes that most rape takes place from a stranger or through violence, and that's the rare exception. Right, date rape and these types of things, where these the, the most common reaction that victims of abuse has is to freeze. And he doesn't even fucking understand that. Just I'm offended at him. And you know what, Spencer Kimberly, fuck you. I'm glad you're dead. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> He would be like 150 if he's still alive, but yeah. Well, I just, I just, I just think like that that statement is moral, morally reprehensible. I really do think that, and I, I think that it's so difficult that, and I know that nowadays everything's a lot different, and there's probably a lot of listeners that are kind of rolling their eyes, like well, we don't believe that stuff anymore. Miracle forgiveness isn't even something that the church necessarily promotes, but yada yada yada. Yeah, it's but whopping pro- like 30 years old. So right. long ago. <laughs> so the, antiquated. But the problem is, is even even if one father reads this and then takes it to heart and then structures his moral belief systems around this and he actually teaches his daughter, I would rather you come home in a box than limp away from a rape. Because once that happens, once you're raped, you're defiled. I mean, that is just I mean, I I don't need. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I can't even I can't even wrap my brain around it because it's so offensive and it's so destructive on so many levels. Well, he's defining losing chastity. He, he's putting rape as losing your chastity. Do you think I would consider my daughter any less if she had been raped? Do you think I think of her as losing something? Uh, you know, of value. Well, yeah, but it but, goes it goes again to a myth, the, the myth, the idea. And I used to I used to be, I was taught this as well is that with with girls there is there is a physical flowering essentially right something you can never get back and i think these girls need to understand that is not true you cannot tell if somebody's been penetrated the hymen is a collar uh, as a collar of tissue it's not like a drum so there is no such thing as popping the cherry or breaking the hymen and i think that concept does mess with girls that you really can't go back there is there there really is as if there's a virgin test and there's not i thought there was a statement in there that said that the victim is not under any condemnation and and then and then the distinction was made that you've got to fight for it's better that you fight for it yeah, but like that's going to mess with defend you. Yourself. So what's, you know, if you're... If, but doesn't if, he say that the guilt, like the victim... No, 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 no condemnation? he says there is no condemnation when there's no voluntary. So if you just, like, relax and let it happen because you're just trying to survive... It's vol- you, or you freeze, or you or freeze, you freeze which is the most yeah. and you're under condemnation. So that's a, that's, that, that can be interpreted as voluntary condemna- uh, uh, participation if you don't fight. So he's he's basically defining not fighting it as voluntary participation. 
Yikes. And, 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 and these, these comments or these statements have not been retracted. It would be one thing if, uh, you know, President Monson or whomever gets up and says, two victims of abuse, this, w- this is retracted. This is not the position what, of the church. What does well, the church handbook of instruction say about this for, for bishops to counsel it, it, people? Does it, does it address it at all? It does. It does talk about victims of abuse, and it says that they are not um, – that, that they aren't that it's not sinful basically right yeah the, the problem is, is yeah it but so it's isn't, isn't that I, I mean so it's not a public retraction but i mean isn't that a change in but, th- but think about this glenn how many members of the church have access to the church handbook of instructions rather than miracle forgiveness which is required reading for every missionary by the way yeah it's still is it still required yeah, well it was for my mission i guess it's yeah. been 10 years or whatever so no. it wasn't required well, but, for mine but how many how many how many true believing how many bishops have this on their shelf Probably 98 percent of them. Well, let, let me just build off this for a minute. I mean, just to bring this into perspective and nowadays, I mean, you guys have all heard the analogies that young women get in their young women groups about chastity and stuff like that. Like if if you lose your virtue, then you're kind of like this piece of chew, chewed gum. Pass this around. Cupcake. Licked cupcake, whatever. You know, like the, the leader would chew some gum and say, OK, now you chew it. I don't want to chew it. Well, that's what you'll be like. If you let your virtue go away. And I always told those girls, I love cupcakes without frosting. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, okay, but I can I can vouch that 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 analogy and those stories are still being used today. I mean, that's and that's that's very I mean, how is that not related to what we were just talking about with the miracle forgiveness? We're basically saying if you lose your virtue one way or another, whether it's even even implied through rape or whatever, then you are that piece of used gum. I mean, that's a. I can't even begin to tell you how reprehensible that is. It just really, really bothers me. As a father of a young daughter, that jet just ugh, sends me right up the wall. You've so why do you think it? You know, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm not Mormon," and you guys are just, you know, figuring this out a little later than the rest of us. It, <laughs> it, it, I guess two things. What? How did it come about? And and comparatively. Do we even have a sense for how bad it was for us compared to just, you know, regular, I want to say Christian or other religious up, upbringings that were associated with other boys growing up? Or I, I don't know. I'm just curious I, of like where we stand. I don't think we're that unique when it comes to this guilt kind of thing. Really? You think yeah. that Mormonism is is average? It's not maybe well, a little... I think I think it depends on what you're talking about. I think when it comes to like adultery and chastity and stuff like that, I think that's pretty universal. I mean, look at look at the uh, Muslims. That's that's pretty that's pretty heavy. Do they have like their own versions of licked cupcake analogies? It's like you're like a used burqa, or I, I don't know, like how do I they? I was thinking we're like a falafel. I was gonna say they they stone the women. The men the men get off okay, but the women okay. get stoned. For me, it comes it comes down to my my realization as I as I was thinking about this is that religion's just destructive. I, I I don't I don't I really start am getting to the to the point where I don't see it as being redeeming because anything that's good uh, that religion might might bring that's good isn't universal to religion. For example, guilt can be positive. If I hit my kid and I feel bad about it and I think you know what I'm not going to do that again, it's not because of religion. It's because of the impact that it had on my kid. Uh, so, so I don't need religion to do that. The only thing the religion provides is kind of an, an a warped uh, sense of things that that otherwise aren't harmful and aren't wrong, and creating 
uh, assigning kind of wrong uh, wrongness to them. I guess. So, so Matt, well, did, did you never get a sense of hope it, from your religious experience? You know, because this this was something. You know, Bob asked this question: How did we come to where we are? You know, like what was our journey through guilt, or, right. or maybe out of guilt, or, or wherever we are with guilt? And and for me. Some somebody wrote a book. I think it was in the the eighties or maybe early nineties. That was called Believing Christ, and it was you know like they made Stephen Robinson. Stephen, Robinson. Stephen, yeah, you know that you you make a. It's not believing in Christ. It's actually believing him. You know that was the the big deep thing. But and I remember when I heard about that, I thought, yeah, that that makes sense to me. You know why why is it that that we don't believe in the atonement more. We don't believe this, you know, you, you guys kind of made light of the sacrament, like a get out of jail free card once a week thing. But it seems to me that, that there are these ideas and doctrines built into religion that could bring a lot of hope and elevation, but there's almost a conscious effort by a lot of leaders to put those things aside and say, well, don't get your hopes up yeah, because well, you've they- got to stay in line. They provide the medicine to the illness they cause. That's where they provide hope, but because they've they because they've uh, mired you down in guilt, and then they give you this 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 uh, kind of you know sunshine or whatever. I, th- I see it as like a, a snake oil salesman who creates the ills. Are you bald? Here, take this. You know, and they're creating kind of the problem in order to sell you um, their solution. That's my my problem with it. Well, I guess I guess my defense would be to religion is I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily think you should throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there are some good things with religion. I mean, yeah, there, we're obviously talking about some of the warped things that uh, religion can do is in causing people to have a lot of unnecessary guilt, and I think that that's very very unfortunate. I just think that there should just be more awareness. If you, is, there if not, you, is there not secular guilt? I mean, is is guilt a religious thing that? I, well, I mean, that's where the remorse well, definition comes in. Yeah, well, I'll just tell you, as as a true-believing Mormon, I felt tons of guilt. Um, now that I'm an atheist and a secular humanist, uh, my sense of remorse for things that I do that uh, don't align with my morality, and, you know, I still do things that, um, I know. you know, I, know. I, I, feel, I feel bad about. <laughs> I know, Randy. Um, <laughs> that hasn't gone away at all. It's just that I'm now. I'm just saying I'm now. It it doesn't. I, it's not as much, but I now feel remorse for things that really matter. You know, instead of instead of instead of like silly constructs that I'm not adhering to that are unrealistic and un- impractical and irrational. Like I really should should uh, be bigoted against gays. I should feel good about that. No, but so if you're bigoted against religious people, do you feel remorse about that, that you're not, like, giving them the benefit of the doubt? Well, you know, there are times when I, I find myself uh, judging people or giving predis- uh, pre, um, preconce- having preconceived notions about people because they're, like, Jesus freaks, you know, <laughs> that some people would call them. And, but I feel, I feel really bad about that afterwards. It's not, and I don't treat them any differently. But I do have like like a knee jerk reaction when somebody has a shirt that says he died for me, which happened just yesterday, and I m- immediately was like, oh, I don't like you. And then like <laughs> afterward, I'm like, oh, you know, she was a really nice person. I, you know, I felt really bad for that. So you know, I should have felt bad for that. You know, I shouldn't judge someone just because they believe in in the Jesus. I- again, it, it's 
it's the things that really matter that I think it boils down to. Yeah. Instead I, I, of yeah. arbitrary constructs. Dude, if yeah. I'm unkind to somebody and I and I am unkind to people now and again, I do <laughs> regret it. And and if I you know if I if I make a person feel bad, I do. Uh, I do feel bad for doing that, and I want to improve myself. But it is the things that uh, that matter to, uh, to me. It's not the the things that just, uh, where I say that don't hurt other people or don't have effect on other people or other things. Uh, if I litter, I'd probably feel bad because I think that has an impact on things. This is good. This we're getting uh, breaking news that atheists still have consciences. That's good. <laughs> is and that ethics news? and moral? Only in America <laughs> is that breaking news. The thing I've been harping on lately is a uh, couple missionaries. How how many couple missionaries feel guilty or, or, or grandparents feel guilty because they're not going on missions? But that, that should be turned on its head. They should actually feel guilty for leaving while their grandkids are – uh, you know, at a at a at a certain age, as they're growing up for eighteen months, and some of these people do it over and over and over again. That's a and good I, example. I think that's a good example because I do think they do feel guilty for it, but I think they just outweigh the guilt for one for the other, and that's unfortunate. <laughs> exactly, and I think that highlights where the priorities are. Yes, yes. Immoral religious people. Well, here, well, here let me let me give this example as far as like listening to your leaders and and feeling guilty that if you don't obey them or listen to what they have to say. I don't know if you guys read this article that about that was in the Daily Herald about the MTC bu- building being raised up nine floors. Did you guys read this story? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, let me interject real quick. Now, what we were discussing here was about the controversy with the MTC nine-story building. And I'm going to play a clip from the Radio from Hell show on X96 in Salt Lake City, Utah with Carrie, Bill, and Gina. And this particular clip was played on July 10th, 2012 in the 7 o'clock hour. And you can access their radio show and their podcast at x96.com slash podcast. A majority of Provo Mormons who are fighting construction of a proposed high-rise at the Missionary Training Center have dropped their opposition after a local church leader asked for their support during a worship service. On July 1st, a Mormon church stake president asked members of Provo's Pleasant View First Ward during sacrament meeting to support the church's first presidency and quorum of the Twelve Apostles in their decision to build a nine-story classroom building, which some neighbors had opposed because they felt it was too high in their neighborhood. Neighborhood Chairman R. Paul Evans, a practicing Mormon, hasn't gotten it right yet. R. Paul Evans, hmm. Richard? I don't know. It's not the same. Had led the opposition to the uh, project. But after meeting with the stake president, he said he felt it was important to support the decision of the first presidency and the quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Previously, Evans' group had felt comfortable opposing the high-rise plan because he said church leaders emphasized the zoning issue was secular, not ecclesiastical. But Sunday's invitation to sustain the brethren was anything but secular. According to Evans, Chris Randall, president of the Sharon East Stake, announced from the pulpit that he was sharing a message from L. Whitney Clayton of the 70 and Elder Russell M. Nelson of the 12. They consider the MTC rebuild an ecclesiastical matter, a decision that was the result of careful and prayerful discussion. Evans had already heard the message the preceding Monday at a meeting with Randall. Uh, subsequently, Evans announced in his email to Provo's Community Development Director Gary McGinn that he was backing down. 
after four months of trying to get LDS church leaders to sit down and consider alternatives that respect residents' concerns. Uh, they think that the building is too high and it's going to mar their neighborhood. Well, this is this story is made national news. Mm-hmm. Here's how it's reported on in uh, a magazine called Politics. As Mitt Romney's candidacy fuels an ongoing discussion over how the Republicans' faith will influence him if he reaches the White House, a minor controversy in the heart of Mormon country has sparked a heated local battle over the role of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in secular politics. At issue is a classic not-in-my-backyard fight. Some Provo, Utah residents are worried that a nine-building, nine-story building in the Mormon, the Mormon church wants to build will mar their views of the snow-capped Wasatch Mountains, it says here. But so now these people are taking it to, what if Mitt Romney? You know, what if, what if the uh, LDS church says, says to Mitt Romney, well, you know, th- this decision that you're thinking about making, here's how we think you should make it. This oh, is, is a, that the way yeah. that they direct the story? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's the classic, yeah. Kennedy's a Catholic, we yeah. don't want to take orders yeah. from the Pope? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so the, it's, it's the, they're taking it to that. Uh, the incident blurs the lines between the Mormon Church, how the Mormon Church itself, in regards to what it's willing to assert religious authority in secular matters. The Church has long held tightly to political neutrality and says it only throws its weight behind an issue that it deems to have moral consequences. But this building doesn't have moral consequences. It's just a zoning issue. Uh, while the church's lobbying to get a construction project approved is unsurprising, some local Mormons were taken aback at what they see their religious leaders turn a local debate into a test of religious faith. I grew up thinking ecclesiastical matters were doctrinal, not zoning issues, said <laughs> Lori Johnson. Any of you know people who um, who voted who voted for or for, voted against gay marriage? Who who morally were supported it? Who, who basically said, you know, I don't I I don't like the law the, the 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 where they say that they can't marry, but because my leaders told me to. Yes. Uh, yeah. John, John DeLynn actually had a podcast, a live call-in podcast, and this young, beautiful, beautiful. A woman called in, and she had this like natural love and empathy for gay people. She was a, a devout Latter Day Saint, growing up in the Bay Area, and she called in. Hi, this is Nicole. Hi, Nicole. I'm hi. I'm from California, and I actually voted in the Prop Eight campaign, and um, I'm friends with Carrie. But I voted yes in Prop 8, and I know it might offend some people here, but I had a really, really hard time with it. I have a lot of homosexual friends, gay and lesbian friends, um, bisexual. I know a lot of people, and they would be very upset if they knew that I voted yes. But my point is that I had to search it out in my own mind, and I had to stay true to what I believe and follow the prophet for what I believe. And I know that he is a true prophet of God, and that if he tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. Kind of like in the beginning of the podcast, when we're talking about um, the primary song, Follow the Prophet, Follow the Prophet, He Knows the Way. And that's our our whole thing. And I didn't want to vote. I contemplated not voting. Um... 
it was a really, really hard decision. And so what it finally came down to was, am I going to sustain my church leaders or not? At this point, John Dillon says to Nicole, the brethren have been wrong before. Have you considered if they could be wrong about Prop 8? And how would that make you feel? I, I would be ecstatic if they were wrong. If, if then later they decided, you know what, homosexual males can hold the priesthood and they can go to the temple and they can get married and they can do whatever, I would be ecstatic. Like I said before, my, my best of the best friends are gay. And, like, I know a lot, and a lot of them are active members in the church, and I know that they struggle, they struggle with a lot of things, and I feel like they miss out on a lot because, and it seems like it's not fair that they can't experience relationships and things like that. But at the point where I am right now is what the prophet's saying at this moment in time, I just have to go with that. And if it ends up changing then I can vote a different way later on. And I'm going to have to follow my prophet. This went utterly against her internal moral compass, but because the prophet told her to, she voted for Prop 8. But isn't that her all documented? But isn't that also her internal moral compass, the the devotion to the prophet? She's outweighing which guilt she wants to deal with the most. That was implanted in her as a child. I think there's an even more perverse example that happens all the time that just defines this this as being a, a big problem. And just really what we're talking about is guilt is power. This is one of the most powerful tools that the church has. The biggest irony is, is that as missionaries, we went out and we preached that families could be together forever. That was like the universal message. What happens after you die? We have the, the, the answer to life. You get to live with your family forever. We would teach this beautiful message. But then... What inevitably happens in every family, maybe not every family, let's, let's call it half the families, is that there is going to be somebody in the family who is opposed to this dramatically and doesn't want anything to do with the church, but yet this other person in their family is embracing it wholeheartedly. So the irony is, is that the most beautiful doctrine that reels you into the church in the first place is tossed aside for the fact that the church comes first and you yourself will be spiritually uplifted by rejecting your family and choosing the church over your family, even though that was the hook that got you in in a lot of cases, you know, for for these converts in the first place. And that to me just, just highlights just how ridiculous this whole setup is, but yet it happens over and over and over again. So let, let me ask you guys about spiritual experiences and spiritual feelings, because I like, as I'm thinking about these, awful people that we're describing these awful mormons no, <laughs> they're geez. not you know, awful yeah. they're wonderful people that have no, been inculcated but, but, let, with... but let me but let me you know the I, I i think part of this inculcation and part of this whatever was implanted in their youth was the ability to feel very strong feelings where, where you you feel like you're connected to god and in those moments it kind of washes the guilt away is that is that a true statement or is it not what, what do you guys think about that to build off Glenn's question, why don't we play another clip from the BBC radio with Stephen Muhal? The ways in which one can alleviate the, the experience of shame and of guilt. I said about shame a little earlier that what you try to do, in effect, is get out of the sight of others, to disappear, ideally. In the case of guilt, that won't do any good. What guilt drives you to do is actually to atone for the wrongdoing. 
you try and engage in some kind of act of reparation to try and alleviate the harm that you did that created the guilt feeling in the first place. And that means that in guilt, you have a focus on the victim of the wrongdoing. And if you put together that focus on the victim with the idea of individual self-criticism, what you get is a sense that guilt might be thought of as a much more mature, progressive form of moral thinking than shame. So if you have an ethical culture that's built around the notion of guilt, you're building into it an idea of autonomy, emancipation from social expectations and norms, and a genuine concern for the harm that you did to others. And that sounds like the core of any genuine morality. I don't think it washes the guilt away. I think it just categorizes it. I think it's just a matter of what putting washes in... the guilt away. I didn't follow. How how does if, this work, Ben? Like if I'm you're interested. if you're having if you're having a really strong spiritual feeling, you're you're praying to God. Maybe you're praying for repentance. Maybe you're praying for something, and you feel the spirit come over you. You huh. feel like you've been answered, and you feel like okay, good. There's still a link. I I I'm still loved. I'm a child of God. It's all good. You know, and even if they're praying for, you know, your family members, Bob, are praying for you to come back and they feel that spirit, you know, wh- whatever those spiritual feelings are, that it, it's kind of the counterweight that keeps people engaged and relatively happy or content, even with all of the guilt that they're feeling for not measuring up in other areas. Yeah, it, it, that sounds good, but I think it also can just result in like a, a, a version of bipolar disorder, like because sometimes you're really low and you're in the depths of the depths because you're feeling really guilty for all sorts of things. And other times, you know, it's okay because the Lord's got your back and you're praying. And it just creates for some, you know, there's a reason, as was mentioned earlier, that Utah leads the nation uh, in in depression. And I think this is kind of one of those reasons is the ups and downs of having all the answers, but being having so much pressure on you for having all the answers. So you come and go in in that joy versus, you know, sorrow. I guess I I don't know. And I, I and I want to say one thing about the whole uh, guilt with the family members and that sort of thing. And maybe this is just me wanting to like throw out a standard disclaimer or whatever. But I I think um, with my family in particular, it it kind of ebbs and flows. And and I feel like. They can't fully like they they actually most of them do a great job of 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 embracing me for who I am, but as long as the church has them shackled, the inverse of that is that they're feeling guilt in a different way because if they really do come to me and engage with me on this plane that's outside of a religious conversion context, then they are sort of going against some of their core beliefs it's It's very subconscious though they wouldn't they would deny this. Of course, but it it just creates this weird haze over our relationship, even if we're trying for it not to, just because by definition, there's no way to get out of it unless you unsubscribe and you can't unsubscribe if you believe in it. Like there's no there's no way to have your cake and eat it, too. Does that make sense? Uh, Well, yes, it makes sense to a degree. I guess for me, (laughs) because I'm 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 still sort of treading water in it. Um, I, I think you can, I, I think you can unplug, maybe unsubscribe to a lot of the literal or more fundamental structures of belief systems inside the church and still be okay. Like if they could just drop 
the whole you don't have to believe that the church leaders are you know maybe infallible or very close to infallible if you just think of them as just guys just doing the best they can that really shifts a lot yes. and i think and how I many think TVMs, that's, how many tvms do that though i know i'm just saying i'm the, just saying it would be cool if more would that's what i'm saying the, the thing the thing that really disheartens me and just breaks my heart is as you guys know my dad is awesome yeah he is um but here's the thing um when a mormon parent could raise a child to be incredibly successful in every way. He could be a physician doing free work in Africa for the underprivileged, have a beautiful wife, having great sex every night with his beautiful uh-huh. wife, and be financially independent. But if he doesn't have the exact same metaphysical beliefs as, as the father, the father is a failure to some degree. And that breaks my heart that my dad feels... Like he is has has failed as my father to some degree because I don't share the exact same metaphysical beliefs as he does. But, but yeah. do it's, you, waste, it's wasted energy and it's wasted uh, sorrow. Well, I think you're overemphasizing exact, but I get your point. Because I, I I completely sympathize because I've got family members the same way, even in my wife's family that feel the same way where, you know, if their children aren't raised properly, then they take that burden on themselves, especially when it comes to <laughs> keeping them in the church and whatnot, even when they become adults and whatnot. But I, I but do you blame more of the church of that or do you blame do you blame the individual? Because because like what Bob was saying, can't they just. Can't they take the? Sh- don't they have the powers to take the shackles off themselves? Why is it is it the church that's got the power over them, or do they have the power to take the shackles off themselves? Yeah, well, I blame it's the church. I, I blame mean, the I, church more too because it's it's really the church doesn't facilitate a, a middle. You know, Tom, you're you're doing it, and it seems like it it works for you. Your your salad bar approach to Mormonism, or whatever, and that's great. <laughs> but like. The church isn't structured that way. It's, it's, in fact, it's structured exactly the opposite way. It is trying to minimize the Tom Perrys of the world. It wants less of you, not more than you. And, I agree. <laughs> and you're just not letting them have it. You're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride the middle way here and F you. Well, that's probably, those are my words, not yours. But um, Just two conferences ago, Elder Russell M. Nelson, the heart surgeon apostle, uh, condemned cafeteria Mormonism. He says you cannot be a true Mormon and be a cafeteria Mormon. So he yeah. utterly called you to he called you out, Tom, and condemned you. Thank you Here. for the remind thank you for the reminder there. But <laughs> that there's was, didn't a, have enough two conferences ago. <laughs> but there, there's other general authorities that say we we want you here even if you don't believe in everything. I mean they, can, he, they contradict themselves yes, all right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it comes to the, the the perspective of the family members, of the loved ones. And my my parents are the same way as, as Randy's. I know they feel guilty about where I am, and I'm trying to I try to hammer into them that they are not the reason why I'm. Well, they are the reason why I am the way I am because they brought me up kind of free thinking and and all the all the superlatives and the positives um, that come from that. And but they don't recognize that. But for me, I blame the church. And, in, you know, I've been I sound very angry against religious people generally, and that's not the case. I really appreciate religious people and I and I and I and I can respect them. And, and, and I think I understand where they come from. My uh, <laughs> my venom is towards the institutions and the religions. And so I, I think it's important to make that 
um, that distinction is it's not towards the people. I support all people wherever they are. It's these uh, organizations and these institutions that I think are damnable. Well, Matt, you when the stake president and the bishop came over to try to you know, reclaim your soul that one night, your line has always stuck with me. Because the church always says, hey, you know what? The church is true, but the people aren't. So don't let people offend you. And you're like, you know what? That, that offends me. The people are true. It's the church that isn't true. Uh, so that's why, you know, when Glenn says that we're talking about these horrible people, I don't think they're horrible people. I think they're awesome, wonderful people. I know, like, the majority of the Mormons I know are wonderful people. Um, but it's the church that needs to maintain this institutional control over them. And so I, I'm in the camp with Matt and, and probably Bob that I blame the church more because I know these people. They're good people. I, I guess I guess I think I think we actually see more eye to eye. And, and I just think it's more of a level of responsibility where we put more blame towards the church or more blame on, on the individuals. I think that varies per individual and whatnot. But I guess I guess I don't want to I don't want to send this into a, a five hour podcast. We should probably wrap this up anyways. But well, bring I, that, to bring that full circle, though, is is I don't think man is an enemy to God. I don't think, you know, this idea of original sin. I really think by and large at the core, all people are good and they're good despite religion, not because of it. Uh, but generally people are are just good social beings who, who really don't want to hurt other people for the most part. So they, that, that religion has been able to convince people that somehow they have contributed to the goodness of man is perhaps the greatest cons ever to take place. Now you're, you're a prosecuting attorney, right? Yes. And you believe that people are innately good. Yeah. And, 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 and I, and I uh, deal with, I, I have seen, that would curl your guys' toes. I have seen stuff that, if a soul exists, has damaged my soul uh, to, <laughs> to never be recovered. And I still believe that, by and large, uh, people are good generally. If religion truly makes good bad people good, and I don't, and I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I'd like to see examples of that. But if people, um, you know, don't drink and, and otherwise would be alcoholics and and do real damage to people by drinking and driving and these things, and they don't because of Mormonism, then yes, that's good. I just, I really think it's overstated um, how much of the baby there is in, in that bathwater. I guess I'm just saying that for some people, religion can be something that adds to their ethics and their morals. And, and obviously for some, it, it, it can be, do the exact opposite. So, But Tom, do you think – and I think Randy made this point earlier – that could very well be true, but you could find something just as good – elsewhere without all of the baggage so there's nothing Agreed. exclusive to religion so like it, it when it really does help people it's just because they didn't walk another block down the street to the community organizer building rather than the religious building I, i'm just making it making oh, no up, I, but I completely agree yeah okay yeah, yeah I, 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 to quote spencer w kimball is uh those people that were religion really does make them better I, th I think they're the exception and blessed be the exception <laughs> all right well i think that's i think this is a good place to end uh any fa any final words any, anyone for the closing prayer <laughs> is that how we end this yeah i like it i, lo I love you guys you guys, Have a good night. you guys are you guys are awesome
I don't think we had a. I don't think we had a proper closing. Should we should we re- or, uh, start over with the closing and then and then ha- I, what do you do? Do you fade to music after somebody says, "Is anyone uh, no is anyone volunteer I, for the closing prayer?" I think what you just said right there is perfect. We need to to take that out and use it. So we did, and you just heard it. And once again, August twenty first, Wednesday, ten p.m. Eastern. Put it on your calendars. Come and join us for a panel discussion. What do you think? What do you think about what you heard today? Take a minute to write it down. Send me an email about it. Write a comment on Patreon. Put your phone up to your mouth and push record on your, your audio record, recorder. And send me a message about it. You, you can email that directly from your phone, like Tom and I do with each other sometimes. I'd like to know what you think. Um, and if you want to join us for the panel discussion, do it. You can do both. Anyway, I'm curious. I I like doing this whole podcasting thing because of the way that I'm able to bounce my ideas off of other people. It's fun. I like having the conversations. I think you're here because you like them too. Some people like to be more active participants. Others want to be passive and receive it. That's fine either way. But if you want to be active, if you want to enjoy with it, and I don't mean like an active Mormon, I mean like really active. in expressing your thoughts and your opinions. Please do. I want to hear it. And once again, thank you for your patronage, your patronage, not patronage, but patronizing is bad, right? But patronizing is also bad. But your patrons, is that good? I don't know. I'm so messed up on it all. I feel so guilty. I feel so shameful. But thank you for supporting Infants on Thrones. Hello, brothers and sisters. This is Elder E. Eldon Elderman of the Seventh Quorum of the Seventy. When I'm not interviewing children about their masturbation practices, I monitor the Infants on Thrones podcast for the Strengthening the Members Committee. If you really like what you hear, you can jeopardize your eternal salvation by giving the quorum a five-star rating and writing a short review on iTunes. I didn't, but that's because I want to be resurrected with my genitalia intact. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.